I realized early this morning as I looked at the sermon I was going to preach at sunrise service and then to look at the different sermon I would be preaching at the 10 o'clock service that it was really a two-part message which I suppose might mean you should be at both services because at the first service I really want to talk about why I believe in Jesus and set aside some proof why we can believe in the resurrection and in the second service it's really why you should too and why you should share that with other people as well I'm going to go back to a statement that I have heard many times and in many places over the years the statement is this Jesus was a great moral teacher he was certainly a good man but he was not the son of God you ever heard that before you know I, I've heard people friends I've heard relatives I've heard professors I've heard philosophers I've heard politicians I've heard celebrities I've even heard religious leaders say Jesus was certainly a good guy but he was not the son of God in fact even a year or so ago I remember the Dalai Lama saying Jesus was certainly a wonderful man great guy but he was not God's son but friends when you read what Jesus said about himself you quickly discover that you've got a big problem with that good moral teacher concept I mean Jesus when you think about it made some pretty outrageous claims I mean he claimed to be the son of God he claimed to be able to forgive sins he claimed that someday he would actually judge the world he even claimed that he had power over death here's the problem a man who is merely a man and who makes such outrageous claims is not probably a good moral teacher he is either delusional or he's demonic I'm a man who claims to be the son of God is either a lunatic or he's a liar in fact in his book mere, mere Christianity which I'd commend to all of you by C.S. Lewis this is what Lewis wrote you can call him a fool you can call him a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord but let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher he has not left that open to us he did not intend to either See, friends when a person decides that they're going to follow Jesus you are really left with one of three possibilities either number one he is a liar and he intentionally deceived people into following him or two he was a lunatic he was a paranoid schizophrenic with delusions of grandeur or three he was the son of God the king of kings the Lord of Lords so it's one of those three you need to take your choice and you can probably guess which one I would choose I choose number three but I don't want you to go away and say well the reason he would choose number three is because he's the pastor and he has to I believe it for a whole lot more reasons than that and this morning I want to just share with you some of the evidence again and maybe in a way I'm preaching to the choir but I think it's even good for the choir to be reminded from time to time why it is that we believe in Jesus here's the first reason is because Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies see for centuries the Old Testament predicted specific things about the life of Jesus there are prophecies about where Jesus would be born 
who his ancestors would be, how people would react to Jesus, how he would react to them, and on and on. In fact, there are 60 specific prophecies about Jesus, and every prophecy Jesus fulfills. And yet there are some skeptics. There are skeptics out there who said, yeah, but what if Jesus deliberately staged events in his life so as to appear to fulfill these prophetic prophecies? I mean, for example, there's a prophecy said, that says that the Messiah rode triumphantly into Jerusalem on a donkey or that the Messiah came from Capernaum. I mean, he could have certainly intentionally moved to Capernaum you know, when he began his ministry. In fact, if he was really crazy, he probably could have got the donkey and probably got people worked up enough to actually crucify him. Well, we'd have to say, you know, a few could be fulfilled rather unintentionally or intentionally, but not many. For example, the prophecy that says Jesus would be born in a specific town of Bethlehem, or that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, or that men would gamble for his clothes under the cross, or that the Messiah would actually do miracles. And yet, you know, there are still a number of people who might say, but yeah, but what if the writers of the Gospels uh, made up all of those events to make it look like Jesus was really the Messiah. Well, I thought about that one too, and I thought, well, you know, if Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John all made millions of dollars off the royalties of writing their Gospels, then maybe uh, that might fly. But that isn't what happened. In fact, these guys did not become celebrities at all for what they wrote or what they believed in. They became wanted men. Matthew, for example, was axed to death in Ethiopia. Mark was dragged to his death in Alexandria in Egypt. And Luke was hanged on an olive tree in Greece. And John, the only one to die of natural causes, had actually one time been boiled in burning oil and then exiled to the island of Patmos for the remainder of his life. But then there are people who might say, but what if it was just an honest coincidence? I mean, maybe there are other people through out history whose lives have also coincidentally filled a whole bunch of prophecies. Is that possible? And again, I'd say, actually, no. In fact, there's a guy named Peter Stoner who wrote about it in the book. It's called Science Speaks. It's a pretty interesting book. He got 12 different college classes, totaling over 600 students, and he had them help him calculate the probability of one man fulfilling just eight of these 60 prophecies. What are the odds of one man accidentally fulfilling just eight of these 60 prophecies? Well, they worked on this, and the conclusion that they came to was the mathematical chance of one man fulfilling just eight of these 60 was one in 100 billion. That is a one with 17 zeros following it. I mean, it's actually you know, improbable to think then that Jesus could have fulfilled all 60 of them. You can't even imagine what that number would look like or that he manipulated events because many prophecies were way beyond its control. That's one reason I believe that Jesus is who he said he is. He fulfilled all those Old Testament prophecies. But there's a second reason. It's because he actually rose from the dead. Now, I've seen a lot of TV shows where they say, no, he really didn't. He only rose in a spiritual sense. And to that, I repeat that great uh, Hebrew word, baloney. 
because Jesus actually, it wasn't just in a, a spiritual sense, I mean in the literal sense of the word. Jesus' body was dead, it was completely lifeless, his heart stopped beating, the blood stopped flowing, he stopped breathing. Jesus on Friday was as dead as a person can be. But then after three lifeless days in the grave, guess what happened? His heart started beating, his lungs filled with air, his eyes opened up, and he was once again alive, and that's why we're here today, to celebrate that fact that he is living. That's what the Bible teaches, and that is what Christians have believed for well over 2,000 years. But then there's the skeptic, again, who says, but what if Jesus didn't really die on that cross? I mean, maybe he just passed out. You know, maybe the Romans didn't quite catch that he just kind of fainted on the cross, and, and they allowed him to be buried, and, and then when they put him in the coolness of that cold grave, Jesus suddenly just kind of came back to life again, and then he pushed that several hundred pound stone away and, and walked out and claimed that he was alive. How about that? Well, that's called the swoon theory, and there's a Greek word for that, hogwash. It, it, it is so ridiculous to even believe that for one simple reason. I mean, picture this. Jesus hobbling around on pierced feet, weak from the loss of blood, bruised and bloody from the beatings, and in desperate need of medical attention, could actually roll away that stone and run around and actually tell people that he had once been dead. But again, a skeptic might say, yeah, but what if the resurrection stories are really just legends that developed years after Jesus actually died again? I mean, first he was a great teacher who died a tragic death, and then the legend grew that he was risen from the grave, and then the legend grew that he actually became, called himself the Son of God, and, and people began to put words in his mouth, and they made these claims, and then the legend just finally spun way out of control. How about that one? Well, there's no question that over a course of time, fairy tales do kind of pop up around people. For example, there was an honest-to-goodness person by the name of St. George but I seriously ever doubt that he battled fiery dragons. That was something that developed long after he died. But in the case of Jesus, his followers, his disciples, affirmed from the very beginning that Jesus had died and that Jesus came back to life again. In fact, in the very first book written in the New Testament, and by the way, it's a good trivia question for you, it was 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, which was written in about the year 49 A.D., Paul affirms that Jesus rose from the dead. In the book of 1 Corinthians, which Paul wrote in 56, he recites a creed that the early church stood up Sunday after Sunday and would repeat. Those words go like this, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. It sounds a whole lot like the creeds that we would recite today. Paul went on to say he appeared to Peter, then he appeared to the twelve. After that, he appeared to 500 of the brothers at the same time, many of who are still living. We even have the testimony of a whole lot of credible eyewitnesses. The story has been told and retold since the day it happened. It has been meticulously written down by historians, people like Luke, and by people who personally knew all about Jesus. I mean, there's no need to embellish no need to mythologize what is fact. 
But again, you might have somebody say, but what if it was just a spiritual resurrection? You know, there are even some liberal theologians today who say that. And this is stuff that really bothers me. For example, Bruce Chilton. He's the head of New Testament theology at Yale University. Listen to what the head of New Testament theology at Yale has to say. He says, as long as we fail to grasp that the resurrection was just an angelic, non-material event, these resurrection stories will continue to be spread. Or how about John Shelby Spong, one of the leading Episcopalian bishops in America? He said, the miracles of physical resuscitation, the angels who roll stones away from tombs, and the bodies that appear out of nothing and disappear into thin air must be dismissed for the developed legends that they are. But friends, the more you consider that view, the less sense it actually makes. It comes down to this. You can either believe the eyewitnesses or you can't. I mean, it's crazy to believe that the disciples believed something that they didn't really see. I mean, the apostles clearly believed that Jesus rose physically from the grave. Luke wrote, Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to that fact. So I believe in Jesus, because he fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. I believe it because he actually rose from the dead, but there's a third reason. It has to do with the radical transformation, not only of the disciples, but everybody who's ever heard this story for the last 2,000 years. You know, when Jesus died, he died alone. His disciples abandoned him. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. But then, suddenly, something very strange happened. The cowardice of the disciples suddenly disappeared. They became bold and courageously began speaking the name of Jesus again in public places. Signs and wonders began to follow them everywhere they went. And suddenly, this group of men who one time hid behind closed doors, who were as scared as little mice, came out of the shadows and were not intimidated by anyone. You could beat these guys, you could imprison these guys, you could torture these guys, and they would still preach that Jesus Christ lived again. The only way the authorities could actually put these men, uh, to shut these men up, was to kill them. And they did. I told you about four of them already. Philip was thrown in jail, scourged, and crucified. Matthias was stoned and beheaded in Jerusalem. Andrew was crucified in Odessa. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome during the persecutions of Nero. Bartholomew was beaten and crucified in India. Simon Zelotes was crucified. And Thomas was killed by the thrust of a sword in Parthia. All of the disciples suffered and died for standing up and saying, Jesus was alive. You've got to wonder, what drove these men to be willing to die in the name of Jesus? Could, would it be possible that they actually got together one day and said, 
Guys, let's keep this gag going, even if it kills us. I don't think so. You can't convince me that those men or any man, anyone, would die for what they knew to be was a lie. I mean, something happened to these disciples after the death of Jesus. They claim to have encountered the risen Jesus, and I, for one, believe them. There's no other way to account for their radical transformation. The P.S. to this point is that Jesus is still radically transforming people. Many of you here today could stand up and testify that you have been radically transformed by what you believe to be true about this Jesus. I can say it myself. I've experienced it. When I sometimes look back and think of the way that I used to act and who I am today, the change could only be attributed to what Jesus has done in my life. So, dear friends, there are some very objective reasons why a person can rationally believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. There's plenty of evidence, not just in the Bible, but even outside the Bible, to prove that Jesus is who he claimed to be. There's evidence to support that he fulfilled all of these Old Testament prophecies. There's evidence to support that he actually physically rose from the dead. And from a purely academic perspective, a person could objectively determine that Jesus was who he claimed to be and therefore was and is the Son of God. But you know something? To leave it at that would be to miss out on the best thing that could ever happen to you. See, just intellectually recognizing that Jesus did this, just intellectually saying, okay, so Jesus rose from the dead, is the big, first big step in becoming his follower. But you've got to take it a step further than just believing it. I can tell you today that Satan truly believes that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies. Satan truly believes that Jesus came back from the dead but he has not been transformed. It's an intellectual knowledge on his part only. Where's the change come? Paul outlined it in the book of Romans when he said this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And friends, if any of you have not yet done this, Easter Sunday is no better day than to receive Jesus. Let's pray. And we're using our Easter prayer. We see it on page three in our worship folder. Lord Jesus, we greet you, risen from the dead, victorious over sin and death, over suffering and shame, over all evil and wrong. Jesus, we greet you, risen from the dead, overcoming by the power of love, by patient trust and perseverance, by faith in God alone. Lord Jesus, we greet you, risen from the dead, proving that nothing can separate us from God's love, showing us how far that love will go and suffering for the sins of the world. Lord Jesus, we greet you, 
risen from the dead, and we offer you our thanks and our praise, our prayers and our worship, our devotion and our service. Lord Jesus, we greet you and we pray to you and we pray through you, and we pray with joy and confidence as you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. And now, dear friends, go out as God's chosen witnesses to testify that Christ has been raised and that we are raised with him. Set your minds on the things of God and do not be afraid of your life, for your life is safe with Christ in God. And may God raise you from all that would entomb you. May Christ Jesus be your life, and may the Holy Spirit empower you for all that is good. Amen. Christ the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.